I was 16 years old when a couple of my Young Life leaders had invited me to go with them to the last concert of the uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary uh, that was being uh, played at the uh, Mary Weather Post Pavilion in Columbia. And uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary were this Amer great famous American folk group that uh, would also sing songs of justice and civil rights. And so I was excited about going, but there was one catch, and the catch was that I had to go on, uh, I had to be the blind date for this girl that they brought back from Colorado. Uh, so I went, and uh, there were many things I didn't know. I didn't know that uh, we were going to stay afterwards to hear uh, Paul Stuckey had a journey in coming to Christ, and he gathered with people that wanted to hear his own uh, personal uh, conversion. And I didn't know that the, after that, that uh, they had planned to go swimming at night in Wild Lake, uh, the lake there in Columbia. And they brought me a bathing suit, and it was a grand time. Well, I got home about 3 a.m. in the morning, and my mother was still awake. And she said, Craig, where have you been? I've been worried sick about you. And I tried to explain to her that I was with, you know, what happened. And, and I, I, I felt bad that she, she had lost this sleep. But the thing I remember most is that my mom loved me. <laughs> I remember my mom really uh, was passionate uh, for, for me, and that's why she was up all night. Abraham Lincoln said, all that I am and or hope to be, I owe it to my angel mother. And uh, some of the lines in Tupac Shakur's song, Dear Mama, ain't a woman alive that could make my, to take my mama's place. He said, I can always depend on my mama, and when it seems that I'm hopeless, you say the words that can get me back in focus when I was sick as a little kid to keep me happy, there's no limit to the things you did. And all my childhood memories are full of all the sweet things you did for me. And even though I act crazy, I got to thank the Lord that you made me. Uh, that's me with my mama when, uh, years ago. I have envelopes uh, filled with letters from my mom over the years, uh, letters that she wrote me while I was away at college or then away at seminary and many letters that she wrote me while I've been a pastor. And in those letters there are words full of encouragement. Some words exhorting me to press on, others to counsel me about things that I should think about doing. But behind all those words was a deep sense that I was her beloved and that she was very proud of me. But what was the source of all that fierce mothering love for me and to my siblings and to her grandchildren and great-grandchildren? Who was she modeling, reflecting in that compassion and focused affection? Well, she was modeling and reflecting her God. Isaiah 49 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And so mothers and all women are created in the divine image of God, show forth the powerful qualities 
of God's fierce love. God will not forget his children. All of us here have a deep gratitude of thanks to give to those women and those mothers who reflected so much of the love of God for us. Well, today we begin a new message series in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, where we also find letters, letters written to the believers to remind them that God does not forget them. We will not be reviewing the whole book of Revelation. We'll be looking at particularly the first three chapters, which are focused on seven letters to the churches of Asia. If Jesus Christ were to write a specific letter to this church, to Faith Christian Fellowship, what would he say? How would he speak his heart to us? What would he commend us for? What would he comfort us in? What would he correct us on? What would he challenge us to? Let us pray that we might hear Christ's words to us so that we might pursue greater faithfulness as we anticipate his coming. Today we'll be looking at the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. So we have these opening words from Revelation, and it announces both the title of the book, it's a revelation, and the divine author, which is Jesus Christ. The word revelation is the word actually in the Greek, which is apocalypse, apocalypse, uh, which means unveiling, to lay bear to disclose things that were unknown to manifest the revelation is the unveiling of unseen spiritual forces operating behind the scenes in history which are controlling its events and outcome and one of those unseen spiritual insidious forces operating behind the scenes became rather visible this past week this past friday actually uh, on a global scale, when tens of thousands of computers were taken hostage by a malicious software source that encrypted unsuspecting computers' files and then demanded payment to unlock them. And this map shows uh, the breadth of the attack. Cybersecurity experts are still assembling or scrambling to contain the global 
ransomware attack that has infected computers in nearly 100 countries, including the US, UK, Russia, China, Ukraine, and India. At least 16 hospitals in England's National Health Service were affected, locking doctors and nurses out of patients' records unless they paid up. There was a pop-up windows demanding $300 ransom paid to the cryptocurrency Bitcoin to access files and were given only three days to submit the payment or the price would double. And if they didn't pay within seven, they would lose all of their files permanently. A revelation reminds us that we do not live in a neutral world or a nice world. Real evil exists, and the ultimate source of such malicious activity is identified, as we heard from our reading from Revelation 12, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. But the revelation of Jesus Christ is not about the unveiling of two and unequal and opposite or opposite forces duking it out, wondering who will win. It's about the supreme triune creator of the universe who in his power, wisdom, justice, and love has redeemed fallen sons and daughters and is bringing their salvation to its climax and to its utter eternal destiny where God ushers in the final judgment condemning his lying, this lying, deceiving devil to eternal judgment in hell. There is no competition for the Almighty. The revelation of Jesus Christ was given to encourage believers that God hasn't forgotten them in their trials and sufferings, but that he is totally aware, totally present, and will soon return. And because he is coming back, we as his people should live with expectant, ready lives. How do you and I live with such expectant, ready lives? Well, in this, these opening verses, we see that Jesus encourages these disciples and these believers to value time, to value revelation, and to value Christ himself. We live in an expectant, ready people for Christ's return as we value time. It says that the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants for the things that soon must take place, for the time is near. Now, when we talk about valuing time, we're not just talking about uh, stewarding the limited time that we have on this earth. But actually, in this passage, it is a focus on recognizing the brevity of time for the trials and the sufferings and the persecutions that believers face. Valuing the brevity of time of our suffering because Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming in his glory. Jesus is coming in the clouds to end history, to raise the dead and to judge the world and to finally destroy Satan and evil, to impart God's children in their final glory, and to usher a reconstructed or renewed universe to make all things new. See, God, he knows about your sufferings. He knows about your trials. He knows about all of the attacks that you're under. I was just out in the hall talking to Holly, and uh, she was saying of the things that are going on in her life and wondering if she's under attack. Well, she is, and so are you. Uh, God knows about these attacks. The apostle John, who received the, this revelation, knew suffering and hardship. 
Uh, this was one of the apostles, the beloved of Jesus, and it is believed that he uh, survived to a ripe old age while the other apostles had all been martyred for their faith. Some were crucified, some were stoned, some were beheaded. Tradition has it that John was cast in a cauldron of boiling oil but escaped by miracle without injury under the Roman emperor Domitian uh, and was banished to this island of Patmos, which is an island on the, uh, on the west coast of, off the west coast of Turkey. And he received there this revelation, and he declared himself to be in this exile uh, in this, uh, and has given a revelation to these churches of Asia Minor, which is our present-day Turkey, uh, because of the word of God and of the testimony of Christ. Up until this time, uh, the Roman government was tolerant and open to allowing many different religions to coexist as long as they respected and were obedient to the government. But Paul, he spoke about how we're to honor all authority. God, they are God's servants to do good and to punish the wrongdoer. But now with the present emperor Domitian, he demanded not just honor, but this emperor demanded worship, claiming to be God. And so once every year in the empire, every person had to appear before their magistrate to burn a pinch of incense to the godhead Caesar and to say, Caesar is Lord. After a person had done such, he could go away and he could worship any god or goddess that he or she liked, but first must acknowledge that the emperor was divinity. And to refuse to burn a pinch of incense and say, Caesar's Lord, was not an act of irreligion. It was an act of political treason and disloyalty, and it would not be tolerated. Call Domitian God or die. Worship Caesar or face certain death. This was the choice. And what was a Christian to do? They were confirmed, they were confronted with the choice Caesar or Christ. And so the book of Revelation is written to the churches in this era. It is written also for us in our time. It is a book written to the church to be faithful in declaring Christ as Lord and to persevere and to remain faithful to the end. It's a book written to the church today for us to persevere in our faith. And so the book of Revelation was given to you and I to further equip us to stand and to remain true in the face of the pressures to cave in. Revelation was given us to persevere in our faith. God knows you're suffering, and so he calls us to hold on. He's coming soon. And we say, well, how soon is he coming? When is he coming? Well, some people will ask uh, certain theologians and pastors, well, are we living in the last days? And the answer is yes. <laughs> and we've been living in the last days according to Acts chapter 2 when uh, the Holy Spirit was sent and, and Christ rose from the dead and ascended. This is the last days. We don't know exactly the time that Jesus is coming back, but this whole period of time are the last days. And why, and what is going on? Well, Second Peter tells us, don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow to keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so this is a season where people 
are giving the opportunity to hear, to know, and to respond to Christ. God is patient, seeking the repentance of more people. And so in Revelation, it's a call to persevere, to hold on. And we hear words like, don't give up, I'm coming soon. Be faithful to the end, endure, hold fast to the truth, resist the devil, obey the commandments, keep keeping on, overcome, be faithful even to the point of death. I will give the crown of life. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Uh, this past week, uh, many of us got an uh, encouragement or to pray for brothers and sisters in uh, Asia who were, uh, have been under intense persecution uh, in Kingdom Reign, uh, Central Asian le- four Central Asian leaders uh, were imprisoned for gathering for worship in their homes and, and, uh, and they served a two-week prison sentence and were just released but two of those were badly beaten uh, with the purpose of getting them to give more information about who else was attending them and other believers. And so we need to pray for these. This is today. This is this week. Uh, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing various persecutions. This is the state of our present world that we live in. Revelation knows this. It's a real battle against humanity, against God's people. We heard the passage from Revelation 12 that gives us kind of a very uh, technicolor description of this battle that is going on uh, with the image of the royal mother uh, who is about to give birth to a child. Of course, we know that this mother is really uh, the church or it's Israel and that this child is Jesus Christ. But we find this image of this woman about ready to give birth. Now, what is, uh, there's probably not a more vulnerable time for a woman than in the process of giving birth. Nothing's more consuming or demanding, nothing more emotionally intense than a mother who, is, who has been growing and carrying a child and is now ready to deliver that child. And while she has some capacity to assist in the delivery process, uh, for the most part, the forces of nature uh, take over. She will deliver that child. But in the process of delivering, she can't really do anything else. Uh, she is all out there. She is all exposed. And because she is so consumed in the delivery process, she has no ability to protect herself or the child from any possible enemy forces that might be near. And so as we read in Revelation 12 about this glorious woman uh, whose time of delivery has come, uh, we do not find her in a comfortable, warm room with lights, low lights, and soft music uh, playing, and a security force outside guarding her from any unwanted or malicious persons. What we find uh, is a dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Now, this is not some idyllic, homey images of Norman Rockwell or a cozy country Christmas cottage of Thomas Kincaid. This is more like the horror genre. (laughs) of Stephen King's Shining, or the zombie apocalyptic horror drama of The Walking Dead. Now, we might be repelled and disgusted concerning the perceptions of evil's presence in the scriptures, 
Uh, they do not sugarcoat these dark realities that exist in our world. And of all people who know these forces of work, mothers know them so well. Talk to any mother who has lost a child to the violence of our streets or whose child was fallen prey to peer pressure of unruly characters or talk to any Syrian mother uh, who was forced to flee with her children from the invading terrorists or a mother from Bangladesh, Nepali, or Bombay who in their impoverished state uh, sent their teenage daughters to go out for domestic work and found them to become enslaved in prostitution. Such mothers know that evil, real evil exists and so does the book of the Revelation. Mothers know this war against their offspring but here's what Revelation tells us. There is a Savior. There is a Christ. There is a God who sees and who knows and who cares and who is coming and he will reign and he will bring justice to the reign on the earth. Hold on. He is coming soon. But we also see besides value time, value the revelation. And so we find this, these words, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it for the time is near. There's a blessing. There is strength and encouragement. There is grace in reading and listening to the words of the revelation. And so God knows how to bless and strengthen his people. Uh, one of the things that all the different views of those who hold, uh, who believe in the Revelation, and there are many different views of Revelation. Uh, but one that all the holders have of Revelation is that this book was given to assure God's people of Christ's ultimate triumph over darkness. Satan and sin is going to be defeated. And this is what we know. And because of this, we can persevere. And that's good enough for me. I don't understand all of the particular uh, ways that these prophecies are going to be fulfilled, but that is, the tr that is the primary core theme in the book of Revelation. And Christ gave us revelation to bless us, not to confuse us. <laughs> and so we need to enjoy it more and to debate it less. Uh, for revelation really is an appeal to the imagination. One scholar said, while the truths are certainly matters for the mind to grasp, they are presented to us in a riotous procession of symbols and a uh, panoply of music, color, texture, taste, and smell. Revelation is God's multimedia show. Uh, the Bible, you might say, is a book but Revelation is a high-definition movie. It is God's grand finale fireworks displaying living colors, crushing sounds, and breathtaking drama. Uh, one author says, It is a great thing that one's intellect could be captive to the Word of God. But how many Christian people have the, imagina have the imagination have has the imagination never been harnessed for the service of Christ? Our imaginations. The book of Revelation is about allowing us to enter into the imagination of God and of this particular apocalyptic genre. And when Jesus gave 
this revelation to John to give to the church, he was not requiring or expecting the readers to have some kind of special knowledge of Roman history or Greek philosophy to unearth the deep mysteries of the meaning of Revelation. Not many, Paul said, uh, have accumulated wisdom, but the Revelation was addressed to all, to every single person, every believer who would read and hear and take to heart this Revelation. Those people, all those people, the author says, would be blessed. A young boy, after hearing Revelation read, said, I know just what it means. You know, children have their imaginations much more alive. And so let us harness the wonderful imagination that God has given us that we might try not to push the language beyond what God intended. Uh, One of the things that I have done when I first first agreed to do this series— um, I said, yeah, that would be great. And then I, you know, started reading the first few chapters. I said, why did we choose this book? This is so deep and so dense, and there's so many questions and mysteries, and, and uh, it's hard stuff. And, and then I just kept, you know, listening to the whole book over and over again. And then I just would read it. And, like, and I would encourage you to do this. Read Revelation in one sitting. Just read it through and just let it kind of flow over you. And try not to get stuck in all the details. And I will tell you, there is a great blessing. God wants to speak to us. Jesus wants to speak to us through the revelation. But the final thing is the valuing of Christ himself. And so John, he says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth... To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory, dominion forever and ever. Here, the churches of Revelation have their backs up against the wall. They're fighting for survival, and they need more than moral exhortation. They need more than words like, be strong, you can do it. The church believers need is Christ himself. And so he comes, and Jesus presents himself in living color. He gives these three titles dealing with uh, past achievements and future triumphs. The faithful witness. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. When Pilate had uh, arrested uh, Jesus and had him come to him and was inquiring him, he said, so you're the king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You know, Jesus, he bore witness. He was a faithful witness to the truth. He came as the king to bear witness, and he fulfilled his calling with perfection. You know, Paul says, though we are faithless, and many of us are, and we stumble, he will remain faithful But we see the firstborn from the dead. Others he raised to life, but they had to die again. All these people that were raised, Lazarus, he had to die again. But Jesus was the first one to be raised to a new, indestructible life. He rose to live forevermore. He is the living one. Death no longer has power over him. And because he destroyed death, he frees us from the fear of death because we know that because he lived, we will live with him. 
And so when a church is facing real persecution and people are actually giving their lives away for their faith, such believers need the assurance of Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. And he's named the ruler of the kings of the earth. While earthly kings were seeking to crush the church of Jesus Christ, Christ remained the king of kings. He directs the affairs and destinies of nations, even though it seems like it's in total chaos. Uh, Christ himself is still in charge. His dominion is universal. But who is the benefit for all these things? Who is the benefit for, for the one who is the faithful witness, who is the firstborn from the dead, who is the king of the rulers of the earth? Well, it's you and I. It's his bride. It's his beloved. It's his sons and daughters that he's claimed. And so we find these words to him who loves us and has freed us. You know, it doesn't say to him who loved us, but who loves us right now. It is a present active engagement. Uh, you know, husband could say to his love-starved wife, I told you I loved you 30 years ago when we got married. And if I changed my mind, I would tell you. <laughs> We need to be reminded that we are continually loved. And Jesus does that. And he has freed us and loosed us from our sins by his blood. God no longer holds our sin over our heads. He doesn't bring our sins up before our faces. But he has in infinitely separated our sins from us. And Psalm 103 says, As infinitely high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Isaiah 43, I, even I, who, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He remembers, you know, God's memory in this area is the, isn't working. <laughs> he has determined not to bring our sins before him. Uh, some years ago, Karl Dortzbach did uh, a peacemaking seminar called Conflict Resolution and taught about the area of forgiveness. And, and in the area of forgiveness, it dealt with four promises. Uh, and those four promises to help really to people to forgive is, I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. I will not talk about it uh, with others. I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. But what's the foundation for such a thoroughgoing forgiveness? It is God who has totally forgiven, who never thinks again about it. And how does he do that? Well, he does it because of the blood of his son who has forgiven us, who has freed us, through his blood. And so when, when God the Father sees us, he sees his son. He sees the blood of his son. And he sees us as people with pure righteousness. When he views you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see all of the junk that you feel all the time. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserves. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. He's cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. 
this God has freed us, and he looks at you, and he looks at you with the same love and the same affection that he has for his own loved, perfect son. <laughs> That's what you have. You see, and because you're free, you're free to give him the glory. You're free. You don't have to, like, clothe yourself with your own pursuits of, like, dignifying things in this world. You can actually give yourself away and not be consumed with security issues and with, am I loved and, and uh, what, am I pleasing others? And you can actually just totally live for the glory of God. One of the things that I read this past week in a, a book called The Heart of a Servant by Jack Miller uh, it was a bunch of letters his daughter composed that he had written, and he was a man full of grace, and he recognized in his own life that he was all bound up with bitterness and anger. He was in the ministry for 20 years, and he almost, like, burned out, and he came to grips with the nature of the gospel of God's grace. And in the process, uh, there was a revolution that took place in his own heart. But anyhow, he, he began to minister to other leaders and other believers. And in this book, uh, the very first chapter, he deals with the nature of a person's motivation. A person's motivation. And he talks about how it's so important for a person uh, to have the right motivation. And he says, he says in that uh, Getting the glory of Christ before your eyes and keeping it there is the greatest work of the Spirit that I can imagine. And there is no greater peace, especially in the times of treadmill-like activity, than doing it all for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Think, and this is what he says, this is how you can maintain a pursuit of the glory of God in your life. Think much of the Savior's suffering for you on the dreadful cross. Think much of your sin that provoked such suffering and then enter by faith into the love that took your sin and guilt and then give your work your best. Give it your heart out of gratitude for a tender-seeking and patient Savior. I think the scriptures remind us here that as we recognize that it was Christ that freed us from our sins by his blood, and it talks about how that every eye shall see him, and even those who pierced him will wail and mourn. You know, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a lot of mourning. There's going to be a lot of wailing. Uh, we'll have a, an awareness of our sinful state and our unworthy state like never before. But here's what we find in Revelation at the end. And it says, and he will wipe every tear from their eye. This God, this Savior, is the one who is going to uh, give us his embrace, the embrace of Christ's infinite love uh, for us. And because of that, we can live uh, for his glory. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling the oppression of life. You're feeling the financial pressures, the broken relationships maybe. Maybe you're trying to overcome childhood scars. Maybe you're grieving over mother issues because this is a day that's very tender for so many. Maybe you feel like life stinks. <laughs> then give yourself to the reading and the listening and the taking to heart the words of this prophecy of Revelation. For you have a faithful witness. 
You have the firstborn from the dead. You have the ruler of the kings of the earth. You have the one who has freed you from your sins by his blood. You have the first and the last, the living one, who is alive forever. He is the one who loves you, who has freed you, and who has determined your eternal destiny into his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you give us this book of Revelation to remind us of these deep things, of things present, of things future. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you speak to us in the midst of our trials, our sufferings, and in the trials and sufferings of our brothers and sisters who are facing intense persecution. God, would you let us, uh, let the words of your prophecy of the revelation just sweep over us that our lives could be transformed that we would hear your words Jesus and that we would see your kingdom in more glorious ways and our hearts would be transformed for your glory in Jesus name we pray amen let's stand together